I left you last week where Jesus is going through the parables. Just real quick for those of you, I don't want to summarize every every week, but uh, at this point the Pharisees have, the Pharisees and the multitudes, because the Jews follow whatever the Pharisees say, they're kind of like the pastor's leaders, and the people just... Rather than figuring out, they just follow what their pastor leader says. <laughs> Pharisees. That's a mistake, okay? I'm telling you right now, read this on your own. Figure it out yourself. You have the ability to do it just like I do. Uh, so the Pharisees have accused Jesus as not being the Messiah and doing everything, miracles and healing and all that he's done under the power of Beelzebul, which is the evil one. And we call that the blasphemy. Jesus calls that blaspheming the spirit. And because they've blasphemed the spirit as a nation, as a Jewish people, Pharisees saying that and everybody else believing them, he's cut them off from seeing the truth. Now that is not to say that individuals can't come to come to know Jesus. We see stories all the time about individual Jewish people that come to know Jesus. In fact, next week, uh, we'll get into that. Um, and so he's cut everybody off, and he's beginning to tell all these parables. And we started into the parables last week. And the reason that he's doing parables is because they've now been cut off. And so he tells these stories in public and then privately he meets with his disciples, his 12 disciples, and he explains the parables to them because he's teaching them. He wants them to be knowledgeable in the things of the kingdom of God. Matthew says the kingdom of heaven. He wants them to understand the authority of how these miracles are done. So even as he's changed his teaching methods, he's also changed his healing methods. He does these in private as well. That only they can see that because he's still teaching them the power of God. And the one thing that he ended up on saying is, look, the, the, the seed grows on its own. The gospel grows on its own. Like literally, uh, I believe that you can open your Bibles and read this thing and figure this thing out. Here's our 22nd. <laughs> uh, yeah, pin, David, see, we go through this every week. I don't know if you hear this on the podcast or not, but uh, there's this little generator that goes and it just, just kind of pause here for a second. Usually it happens during the music, but... Uh, so so anyway, he's he's now teaching... He's teaching parables, and he's explaining it. He's doing the miracles, and he said that the gospel is able to grow itself. Like he, I said last week, he doesn't need me to teach. He doesn't need me to do anything. He, the good news goes on its own, and when it does, there's this awe of God that we experience. And if you, if you never get to experience the awe of God, you're missing out. I believe that's one of the biggest things the church is missing out on today is the awe of God. Yeah, we have the scripture. Yeah, we know that God does this. Yeah, it's all factual. It's, 
but God is like moving and doing things. And if you can't open your eyes and see the spiritual side of what God has done in almost everything you do, you miss the awe of God. And that takes us to where we are today. We're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Let's just get into this thing. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven, remember Matthew's written to the Jews, and they don't say Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word for God. So whenever he talks about the kingdom, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God, which the other three gospels say the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. Now, reading that right there, uh, it's kind of interesting that this week, uh, I I hung out with our students on Wednesday night, and another student uh, contacted me, and they asked me my opinion uh, on scary movies. That's a, you know that's a teenage thing is to, and that's the whole market of these scary movies is to like it's for the teenagers, uh, and we probably all watched them you know my <laughs> I grew up in the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre era that that was you know the movies that we grew up on but uh, scary movies what's the benefit of scary movies and how do those work and then I tried to explain to them that. I don't have mine on me, but they have theirs on them all the time. They have this little thing called the phone that's attached to them. It's constantly like this. And what happens is, is in this phone, uh, depending on how, how much money they've saved to buy on their phone, there's a hard drive in there, and they can, they can purchase that phone with a certain amount of hard drive space. And then they're constantly taking pictures of themselves and everybody else. We call these selfies. <laughs> Somebody said onesies. <laughs> That's my generation. We would say onesies, and then they would laugh at us and go, selfies. Uh, so they take selfies and all these pictures, and it goes on their hard drive. And I don't know how many pictures my daughter has on her phone, but it's thousands. Now they don't even store them on their hard drive. They store them in the cloud so they can take as unlimited amount of pictures. But the, 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 the thing is, it's stored there. Like, literally, if you, if you use the cloud now, and you use the cloud on Amazon, you use the cloud on Google, and you use the cloud on this, and you got, you got pictures everywhere now. And he tried to delete a picture, and it's still there. It shows up somehow. It just shows up. But it's the same way. You watch the scary movies. It's logged in on your hard drive called a brain, and it's there the rest of your life. I'm not saying don't go watch scary movies. Because if I say that, then I say don't be in the world. Like you're, You guys are going to live your life, and you're going to do crazy things i'm going to do crazy things see crazy things i get that but it's logged it's logged in my brain and it's there forever it's there it's on the hard drive there's no deleting it i've if i've seen it if i've touched it if i've felt it if i've heard it if i've tasted it it's logged in right here on my hard drive and so 
you ask what's the purpose of watching, you know, benefit of watching scary movies, it's there. And those thoughts, if you, if all your logging is like scary movies, that's all that's on there. That's where your thoughts and your, probably your experiences are going to be coming from here in the near future. So how do you get rid of a scary movie thought? It's, it's kind of like you, you have to water it down. And the only way that you water it down is with the truth, which I believe is this right here. Like, the only way I get rid of the scary movies that I watched when I was a kid is to read this right here. Still there, still logged in. You know, all the Friday the 13th, Halloweens, everything else that you watched when you were in college. It's, all, it's, it's there, but you know what? I don't even, like, think about that stuff anymore. Because I'm filtering with this right here. I'm trying to put more things that are godly in my brain. Paul says, think about things that are above the things of God. So when I read this parable here, it says, but while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. Not only <clears throat> do we put bad thoughts into our hard drive, but I believe... Uh, I, I'll say this, uh, Luke, I'm very selective about who comes up here on the stage and teaches the word. I'd have no problem with you coming up here, brother. But there's error that is taught in the word all the time. And <clears throat> it's going to happen. I, I literally... You know, I used to like have my favorite podcast that I would listen to and everything else, uh, pastors and everything else. And, and now uh, I think it's down to like one or two people. It's because I, I get tired of having to sift between what is truth and what is error. I'm very selective about how I interpret the scripture and how I read the scripture because I believe even though they're good pastors, good preachers, uh, there's a lot of misinterpretation going on out there. And I get it. Spirits working in you may cause you to see it differently. You're welcome to that. Uh, it says here, it says, when the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? He said, an enemy did this. So do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first and tie them in, bun in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. Now, he's just told this parable, and it's a story, and he hasn't explained it. He's going to explain it here in just a little bit in verse 37 through 43. So just hold tight. But the issue here is this, is like, I'm telling you there's going to be error sown in teaching the truth. There's going to be bad thoughts that are sown into your hard drive 
which eventually get sorted out. And so, honestly, people ask me my opinion about bad teaching or false teaching, and I'm like, it's all right. It's whatever people want, whatever they want to listen to. I trust that the Lord is going to sort it all out in the end. I trust. But wait. Hear the explanation that Jesus gives. In verse 31, it says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. I'm a bird guy. You've, most of you have been in my backyard and you've seen my, my bird feeders that are like everywhere. Uh, there's birds that you like and birds that you hate. We call the birds that you hate annoyance birds. You go to the bird store and they talk about how to get rid of annoyance birds. Those would be your grackles. They would be your European starlings, uh, blue jays. I think blue jays are pretty birds, but they're mean birds. I don't like the blue jays anyway. <laughs> and then there's the beautiful birds. There's there's the finches, which is like almost it's like almost all the birds that come to your feeders. Those are your gold finches, and your cardinals are a finch, and your sparrows are a finch. You've got all these different finches, and bluebirds are a finch. Got these fin- so you got birds got two different kinds of birds and it says so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches and then he told him another parable he says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into the 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it oh here we go here's that uh, that leaven word that leaven word remember let, let, let me explain this to you <laughs> Because uh, my friend Bob says that leaven represents sin in the scripture. And it does in almost every case except for one. Uh, but when leaven is a, is a neutral word. And for those, of the, for those of you that don't know where leavener the name came from for this ministry is all these truths that I'm teaching you right now are basically uh, taught to me uh, by my friend Keith Tyner. We just started meeting at Panera Bread on Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock back in February of 2000, and to this day we still meet on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. So for the last 17 years we've been meeting at Panera Bread. So when the ministry started uh, and the government said I had to like name my ministry for a 501c3, I decided to go to a bakery term meeting at Panera, and we found this word leavener. And it means the change agent in a dough product that causes it to rise and transform while it's in a state of rest. And that was everything that I had learned. Everything that I had learned at Panera is that Jesus Christ was the change agent in me that that transformed my life. Transformed my life. Changed me from the inside out. He raised me up. And now all I have to do is rest in him. All I have to do is rest. And look, I continue to transform as I rest. It's a crazy thing. 
But when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's like yeast. Everybody knows what, what, what leaven does, what yeast does. It works its way into the dough until it works its way through the whole dough. Not just in there. It mixes through the whole dough and causes the whole thing to be transformed. It says in verse 34, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and he would not speak anything to them without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And then it goes back, Matthew says, and he quotes this passage in the Old Testament. It says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundations of the world. This is prophecy, and Jesus is now fulfilling the prophecy that's spoken about hundreds of years ago. He's literally speaking in parables. Now, watch this. Before he explains the parables, remember, he's still among the multitudes. He's still among the Pharisees, the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody. And he's taught these parables. And then there's a transition in the story. Well, let me jump to back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, because we believe chronologically this is what happened. If you remember two weeks ago, we read a passage in Mark that said his, his, his mom and his brothers think that he's, he's lost it and they were going to go after him. We've got to go after him because Jesus is like lost it. Well, here we go. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it says, He was still speaking to the crowds when suddenly his mothers and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. <laughs> Your mom shows up. My mom's coming next week, hopefully. Uh, it could be the last time that she's able to see me teach uh, in person. So it's a big deal that my mom's coming next week. But there's something about when your mom shows up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, mom shows up, brother shows up. And they want to talk to Jesus. Hey, we need to speak to you privately. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they're wanting to speak to you. <laughs> Jesus even got called out by his mom. His earthly mom, right? She didn't understand the spiritual things that Jesus did, but she knew that the things that Jesus was doing and stirring the pot was not good. And Jesus replied to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? That's kind of a strange statement. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Now watch this. You sit there and go, Jesus absolutely just denied his mother and his brothers. I know that Jesus loved his mother very much, very deeply. Because even on the cross, even on the cross, he made sure that she was taken care of. His, one of his last things that he said is, take care of my mom. But really what he's saying right here among the people and among his disciples is this, is... Earthly speaking, I'm no longer talking earthly speaking, I'm talking spiritually. Spiritually is what I'm, earthly is temporary, 
spiritually is eternal. I hate to I hate to ruin your picture of what heaven is like. But your kids are probably going to be your brothers and sisters. There there won't be any like parents in heaven. You have to think about that one for a minute. I'm not chasing that rabbit, but we're all going to be like one family. Yeah, even the people that you don't get along with. You'll actually love them up there. And we'll all be like one big family. I don't know what that looks like, but Jesus is like saying, up there it's totally different. Down here is one thing, but up there, that's what's important. So now Jesus mother and his brothers have come and said man he's whacked out we gotta like save him and Jesus like saying I don't need saving it's all good I'm hanging out with my brothers and my sisters we're all here together now jump to back to Matthew chapter 13 where we were it says then he dismissed the crowds and he went into the house left the multitudes left the crowds, left the Pharisees, left the Jews, and he went into a house privately with just his boys, his young, teenage, middle 20 group of 12 guys. His disciples approached him and said, explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. And he replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather from His kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. Everything that causes sin. And those guilty of lawlessness. You get that, right? He said those two words together. He said everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. He's using the law and the sin together there. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous one will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. And then he finishes, anyone who has ears should listen. So now Jesus has said, the sons of the kingdom, that would be those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you're one of the good seeds. And you know that those that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and him talking about the Pharisees, him talking about the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, those are the bad seeds that are like sown in with the good seed. And in the end times, in the end times, in the future... Jesus' second coming, we could sit here and lay out how all that plays out, but in the end times there's going to be a judgment. You will not be there. 
I have to I have to say this now because many of these parables relate to the end times and that judgment. That is the great white throne judgment, and you will not be a part of that great white throne judgment. Just let me just breathe a little bit, all right? There is a judgment for you. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's going to be a glorified judgment. Full of glory, full full of grace, full of mercy. And basically all that's going to say is, look at all the things that you did. Look at all the things that you did in Christ. That Christ did through you. Everything that you did in your own strength, that's all burnt up and gone. It's worthless. Chafe. Not any good. In your own strength, bad deal. In Christ, him doing it through you, that's a cool thing. And that judgment seat of Christ is going to be a great thing for us, the believers. Now, back to the great white throne judgment. Obviously, there's going to be, at the end times, those that believe in Jesus and those that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's saying that they're going to be put into the lake of fire. I explained, I believe, last week or the week before that 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 lake of fire, that darkness, is just the absence, the void, the void of God. I, I I can't even imagine what that is like. The isolation, alone. So you've got the non-believers, and then he's really saying to the religious, the Pharisees, the religious people, if you don't believe I'm the Messiah, you're one of the bad seeds. And he's also talking about all the false teachers, those that are saying that you have to do everything according to the law rather than just believing that Jesus is the Messiah and he fulfilled the law. He's like, that's bad seed too. It's all going to be sorted out in the end. Then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, that right there is a parable that has been told many times by many pastors and has been told many different ways. But how can you ever tell that parable if you don't understand your identity in Christ? If I was up here and I'm teaching and I viewed myself as a lowly sinner saved by grace that is continually having to seek forgiveness and ask for the Lord's help, how am I ever going to be able to interpret that parable right there? But once you come to know that I once was a sinner, saved by grace, and now he has transformed me into a beautiful, holy, righteous, forgiven, blameless child of God, That's me. Hello, that's me. That's you. All of a sudden, I'm that valuable pearl. 
that he, that he would like go out and spend all of his money just for, he would cash in everything that he has just for me. That's me. That's what he did. He ca- what more can you cash in than your own life? That's what he did. He climbed up on the cross, poured out his blood for me, was buried, rose again, and now, look, He's transformed me. He's raised me from the dead. And I just need to rest in Him. I don't need to do the law. I don't need to do all this stuff. I just need to rest in Him. If I rest in Him, it's pretty amazing the adventure that He's going to cause me to do. I'm still going to do, people. I'm still, I'm, still, I'm still moving. I'm still breathing. I'm still talking. I'm still hanging out. I'm still teaching the gospel. I'm still... In fact, I'm probably doing it more than I've ever done it before in my life. Because it's not me doing it. It's him doing it in me. But I'm that pearl. What if that pearl represents the Gentiles? That pearl right there represents this whole mystery kingdom that we talked about last week, the church. If you never understand that you're holy and righteous and blameless, you never understand that you're that pearl says again the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea this is like that mustard seed that was planted and grown into the trees and the birds landed in it you got good birds and you got bad birds right you got annoyance birds and you got the beautiful finches you're a beautiful finch you're not one of those annoyance birds you're not a grackle And then it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It's collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous. Those that believe that Jesus is the Messiah those that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and throw them into the blazing furnace. Not my words, Jesus' words. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In time's future, great white throne judgment, lake of fire. And then one other parable that's not in Matthew, but Mark mentions is in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, and nothing hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. And then he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, look, you may think that you have very little. But what you have is incredible. And if you can understand, if you can have ears to hear... If you can have ears to hear what Jesus is saying right here, 
man, there are some credible things that await you. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like trips and money. I, I'm talking about this just incredible adventure of seeing the awe of God. Yet, if you, if you wanted to put people under the law, you want to build your wealth, which is all the things the Pharisees were doing, you're probably going to lose all that. You're going to lose it all. And then we jump back to Matthew 13 and close out. It says <clears throat> to his disciples privately, have you understood all these things? You get it? Anybody have any questions? Boys, are you hearing me? I mean, from what I'm reading, it's like he's getting one point across. You either believe that I'm the Messiah and that I've, I've totally transformed you, or you don't believe that I'm the Messiah. And too bad for you. Do you get it? <laughs> yes, they told him. Just like good students. Yeah, I get it. I get it. They may even just get it like right here. I get it. A lot of you get it right here. He said, therefore, he said to them, every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out his storeroom what is new and what is old. When Jesus finished these parables, he left there. And let me close with this story right here. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that same day, he just, he just told the disciples, he just took them to school, he just educated them, he just poured into them, and they said, yeah, we get it, we get it. Got it. He said, on that day when the evening come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. This would be the, the Sea of Galilee. Come on, come on. Save your pennies, go with me. Awesome. Every week, I'll make the plug. May of next year. We're going to get on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, literally to this day, is known for its, its impulsive squalls that will come up. Because it kind of sits down in a valley, man, you, you can have a bright, sunny day on the boat, and all of a sudden a squall just come up like that, and that Sea of Galilee is like this. Can't promise you that that's going to happen. John said, if it does, I'm throwing you overboard. So uh, Jesus says, let's get in the boat, let's go the other side. Some people believe that he was wanting to go to the east side, that he was on the west side. We don't know. It says, so they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat and other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. You know what swamp means, right? Like you're having to like bail out water. Like it's taking in more water than the boat can hold. This boat is going under. Mark gets a little bit more descriptive than Matthew and Luke does. It says, but he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. Jesus had a little pillow. Was asleep. 
the boat is rocking, being slammed, water going everywhere, going under, and Jesus is asleep. Does he have confidence in his Father? He's got peace. He says he's sleeping on the cushion, so they woke him up. They had to wake him up, not the storm, but the disciples had to wake him up. And they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Teenage boys on a boat, getting swamped, bailing water, wakes Jesus up. Come on, save us. He got up. And I wish, I wish, I wish I knew how he said this. He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Silence. Be still. I mean, it's got exclamation points in my Bible, but did he yell that? Or just by his authority, did he just say, Silence. Be still. Just be still. Guess what? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. A great calm. There was peace. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? I thought just a few minutes ago you said you got it. Right? Didn't you say you got it? You got it up here. You got it up here. Why don't you believe? Where's your faith? I got this. Let me do this for you. Boys, are you learning? Church, are you learning? And they were terrified. And they asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, wait a second. They knew who Jesus was, they sat there and saw his miracles. But now they're like going, this, this is a whole nother level. He, he just calmed that whole sea. You know what they saw? They saw the awe of God. The disciples literally saw the awe of God. And I, I truly believe, I truly believe before we can experience that awe of God, that one, we have to understand, we have to understand, and we have to accept our inability to calm the storm. Look, I get it. You're in the storm. You're in the storm. You're probably not going to stop that storm. But I know the one who can. And I know the one who does. And you may know it up here. You may know it up here. And all he's saying is, trust me, believe, trust me, believe. I know you're in the storm. Just trust me, trust me, trust me. And once we understand that we have the inability to stop the storm, all of a sudden we get to experience the awe of God. And you stand back and go, that's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level. Church, you want to figure out how to do things? 
experience the awe of God. He'll cause you to talk about it. He'll cause you to go out and stir the waters. It'll cause you to do some amazing things. But that awe of God, if you don't ever see that, mm, it's good stuff. Father, I pray that your awe just flows through us this week, that we can see it, that we can not only know it intellectually, <laughs> but literally we can trust what, you t- what we know, trust what we believe. Just let, just, just let us believe it. Father, we pray for belief. We pray that you're going to take care of the storm. And there's going to be peace. And we can rest. And then we get to experience just your awe. I pray that for not only me, but for my friends right here. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.